Brett McCaw, and welcome once again to the Martirio Podcast. It's been a long time in coming, long time no chat, Father. How are you doing tonight? Awesome. Very good. God's in charge. Amen to that. Jesus is king, right? In the words of Kanye West, the great poet philosopher of our age. Prophet. Yeah, so we are back after a bit of a hiatus. We have to apologize to our, you know, eight and growing followers. Uh, and we are podcasting again here in beautiful Pittsburgh, Carnegie, uh, PA, to be uh, specific. And as I said, I'm joined here with Father Jason Sharon, uh, who's our normal uh, and valiant co-host. And also we have a special treat tonight. Special guest, Father Alex Roblicki, uh, a priest of the Ukrainian Catholic Eparchy of St. Josephat of Parma, uh, who is joining us here today. How are you doing, Father? Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. I'm Great. doing well. Excellent. Thanks Excellent. for having me here. It's a pleasure and a joy and an honor. So we are actually uh, going to come to you again, uh, the three of us now, uh, and review some pressing matters especially in geopolitics in the world today. We uh, uh, seem to podcast, maybe it's by providential appointment, uh, at very, very crucial points in American society and the life of politics and you know recent history. If you recall, uh, one of our podcasts, in fact, was right after the overturning, the miraculous overturning of, of Roe versus Wade earlier in the summer. Right now, we are on the eve of the U.S. midterm elections. It is November 4th. Uh, midterm elections will take place on Tuesday, November 8th. Uh, so we'll get into that a bit more. Uh, but in particular, speaking about the momentous uh, happenings in Ukraine, um, we are in day 254 of Russia's supposed and presumed triumphant and glorious invasion of Ukraine that was supposed to take place in three days. Um, and here we are. Here we are. The, uh, the conflict is, I wouldn't say frozen, uh, but uh, now we are past the time of summer conflict. Um, those of you perhaps remember, uh, Ukraine held its lines, especially in the east, but also in the south. In early September, had a masterful and strategic victory, recovered, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, fathers, but almost, I think, 3,500 or even 5,000 square kilometers of territory within a week near Kharkiv at the very far east, and then continued especially through the aid of, of American armaments, HIMARS, attacks, CMS, uh, to hammer away at the Russian position in the south in Kherson. And that is where we find ourselves now, is the, uh, the mounting uh, assault on Kherson with the chance that the Ukrainian ordinary forces are able to <clears throat> retake that city. Uh, so what do you guys think? In terms of how things are going. I, I can't help but think of the Psalms. You know, um, when you think of what Ukraine was pitted against um, and you look at the prognostications uh, back in the end of, of February, 
um, I can't help but think of Psalm 70. You know, save me, O God. Lord, help me now. May those who try to kill me be defeated and confused. May those who are happy because of my troubles be turned back and disgraced. May those who make fun of me be dismayed by their defeat. And uh, uh, I think that, that psalm was on the, uh, the lips of, of many a monk and nun in Ukraine uh, at the end of February. Uh, and it, it's come to pass that uh, you know, those who were making fun of Ukraine, that it would be um, no longer a feature on any uh, atlas uh, within two to four weeks, um, are now see that uh, uh, they've been vindicated and their enemies have been uh, defeated mostly in, in around Kiev and, and, and in the east, the only place where, where uh, Russia continues to uh, hold out is, of course, in you know, Donetsk, Luhansk, and uh, Crimea, and south in the Kherson area. So it's um, just a, a beautiful testament to um, you know, prayer and uh, perseverance and what uh, uh, the unity of brothers can do in the face of uh, seeming defeat. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a beautiful psalm. It's definitely, uh, as we are at day 54 of a three-day invasion. 250. 200, yeah. yeah. 254, excuse me. We're, we're getting close getting to close. 365. We are on, getting on close. On the three-day the three war. Right? So yes, day 254 of a three-day invasion. I think that psalm has been prophetic. And, uh, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely a challenge uh, for Ukrainians in this world, uh, the things that they're facing. Um, and hopefully we can shed some good light on some perspective for people to appreciate the conflict yeah. better. Well, one of the things that <clears throat> I, I think I, I really want to stress is that um, if there were no NATO, this would still be the outcome of Russia expanding into its neighbor's territory. Um, and I, I've, I've had so many people, um, since we made our last recording, so many people, people of, of, of good intent, have brought this up. Oh, oh, Father Jason, you know, but if, if NATO weren't provoking, you know, this wouldn't happen. And uh, th that simply isn't the case. That, that simply is not the case. This, you know, a tiger can't lose its stripes. And, and Russia, uh, Moscow, has been doing this since the 14th century, is this continual attempt to subjugate, you know, Belarus, uh, Ukraine, uh, Poland, Lithuania, I mean, anywhere within their range of influence, uh, they've tried this culturally, linguistically, uh, ecclesiastically, militarily. Uh, this is their trademark. Um, and um, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's going to continue. Uh, they need to be defanged. Yeah, no, and it, it is interesting that you bring up the, the question of long history with regard to Russia, but, you know, in many ways, you don't need to go back that far, right? And even in the, even in the, uh, the post-Soviet context, uh, you know, the reason why NATO is attractive to Russia's neighbors, no one seems to, you know, who makes that argument about NATO expansion, no one seems to also look at the other side of why Russia's neighbors would want a defensive pact. 
you know, united <laughs> against Russia, or at the very least, a common security agreement. Right. Right. Russia yeah. is the greatest advocate for NATO by their actions. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's just been the case for centuries, as mm-hmm. as Father Jason says, since the 1400s, this has been going on, and um, you know, I think it's it's ex- it's exceptionally. Um, critical with Ukraine because I think Ukraine is very special with regards to all of the other neighbors. Uh, There is a sense, you know, in which, you know, the history between Ukraine and Russia, the Russians really, really want Ukraine because Ukraine really shouldn't exist in their minds. You know, Ukrainians are little Russians. They are the big Russians. Um, and they just need to somehow put these little Russians in their place. And if that means to commit genocide, well, you know, as, as we know, it, those who follow Russian media, I think Americans would be shocked that aren't aware of this. But, you know, they talk about the, you know, final solution to the Ukrainian question, you know, and that is eerily similar to the, <laughs> the, the propaganda of Nazi Germany mm-hmm. with regards right. to the Jews. And that's what they talk about. On Russian media today, um, and and I think people just somehow I think that might be hard for Americans to even grasp. So they just want to dismiss it, you know, like oh that that's not really true. That I I don't believe that yet, you know, for for those who take the time to go through Twitter and read the translations, and I'm able to track a little bit of the Russian. I know that yes, these words are accurate. It is a decent translation here. What they're saying is they're in fact. You know, 82% of the population of Russia supports this war. Mm-hmm. It's not Putin's war against Ukraine. It's it's a mindset. It's you know, a Russian it's, war it's an, against It's a nationalist Russia. mindset. Yeah. You know, and it's deep-seated, too. Um, you, know, and, you know, it's interesting you bring that up, Father Alex, because it's very... <clears throat> the gap between... Well, it's actually... There's no really gap. It's actually... It's, it's a... It's a schizophrenic narrative, right? That, oh, we're one people, right? We're one people. Do you remember uh, about a year before when Putin... In July, the New York Times article? He wrote the New York Times editorial. Yeah, Yeah. and it was, you know, I'm not a professional historian, but, uh, you know, even taking my amateurish uh, stab at this uh, region of the world and its history, but certainly professional historians as well of this region said that it was... It was crackpot history, but uh, Putin's primary argument and central argument is the oneness of the the Ukrainian and the Russian people. Right, that was the you know that was the main theme, um, but yet it's it's a rather odd unity, right? Because um, we'll we'll stress to you. You know our solidarity in our oneness with you, obviously in the uh, subordinate role, right in the the inferior role. Um, but if there's any inkling that you don't accept this, now we just need to genocide you. Yeah. Right. And make no mistake. I mean, this is this is common language among not the far right nationalist war bloggers in Russia. I mean, you have Dmitry Medvedev, who is very open. And very at ease with using genocidal language in public. And he does it almost on a regular basis now with regard to the Ukrainian question. Right. So it's a, yeah, it's a very, uh, 
I mean, it's more than just a nefarious ideology. Uh, it, it's 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 deeply well, yeah. I mean, exactly. Schizophrenic. It's well, disordered. It's it's know? not just that, but you know, you know, Father Jason started off, you know, going all the way back to the fifteenth century, right? You know, going back to that, and you know, it, if you look at history from a Ukrainian lens and you understand it from their perspective, um, you know, this is. This is actually leading to a great point that I've thought about often on this, which is, you know, there's a great opportunity for Russia to reform itself, to examine itself critically and come out of this a better nation. Um, However, it's not going to be as easy as it was for Japan and Nazi Germany after World War II, which had a brief stint with fascism and an ideology based upon a culture that has existed for a long time. With Russia, it's going to take a lot longer because that is the, the, the history and understanding of themselves vis-a-vis Ukraine is centuries of a historical understanding that is deeply flawed at best, you know, um, and, 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 you know, people that aren't familiar with that, 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 that culture uh, are not aware of that historical uh, discrepancy, you know, up uh, up until the 18th century, there was no such thing as Russia. It was Muscovy. Mm-hmm. They were Muscovites. Yeah. And then Peter the Great conquers, you know, I believe it was 1721 in Poltava, which is basically where this war is being fought in Ukraine right now, when the Ukrainians and the Swedes lost to Peter the Great, and he was able to acquire a large portion of what is now Ukraine, and cave, you know. Then he comes up after learning the history of those people that this is now some sort of Rusin or Great Russia, Russian Empire, and he basically steals the name and identity of Ukrainians, and then says that we're all one people and let's all get along. And if you don't agree with me, well, then you said we'll just genocide you because you're just historically incorrect. And that just doesn't sit very well for about 65 to 66 million Ukrainians around the world, myself included, because it totally negates our history and our shared understanding of who we are, where we came from, and, and, and what end is up. Yeah. Now, that, that figure, that's the first time I've heard that figure of 66 million Ukrainians. That's not, obviously not citizens of Ukraine, but that's but worldwide, people yeah. who are, you know, the global, the global diaspora, diaspora. Okay. who have Ukrainian heritage and whatnot. Um, yeah, this also speaks to the, um, you know, our own uh, desperation, I think, because as, as you know, Russia desperately needs a strong man. It, it's really not a, a nation. I mean, it's a confederation. Uh, it's a federation of all of these little sub-nations, you know, and they're, they're held together by a strong man. Um, and uh, it says something to us in the West in that, you know, we've been attacked, you know, not by... Um, Mongols like the, the, the Russians were and they looked to a strong um, you know a, a strong man in Mo- Muscovy to, to pull the clans together um, but it speaks to uh, you know our uh, our siege here in the West culturally and intellectually um, that we we see uh, before us with the, the forces of atheism and, and you know cultural Marxism and, and you name it and um, in that that chaos that we're living in with transgenderism and all these other things um, that there is that that desperation on the part of some of our uh, co-religionists and uh, political brothers to 
to really find um, socor and refuge in, in a strong man um, who's going to you know, deliver them from all of this assault. And uh, I, I think I've just, we, we've, we've all seen this, that uh, people that we, we are, are politically akin with um, are, are taking refuge in you know, the, the Putin camp. Um, I think of you know LifeSite News and uh, John Henry Weston um, and uh, Steve Jelcevic and others like them, uh, Michael Matt, you know who uh, see in Russia you know the great their great defender against uh, uh, the godlessness of, of the globalists and and, and, and the uh, you know and the, the the leftists here in in Washington and in uh, uh, the European capitals, and they've uncritically accepted uh, Putin's claim. To be the the great deliverer, um, uh, so I, I just hope that uh, uh, we, we don't suspend our reason and uh, go go all in uh, on on uh, on Russia's claim to uh, to push back against against Europe. Well, it's a, yeah, it's it's a chief flaw to viewing a, and I know this is a very overdone adjective to this, but. A very complex um, historical and cultural conflict, right? Um, not complex morally, right? Morally, it's pretty cut and dry, but it's viewing it in superimposing um, one's situation in, you know, the the American culture war, and then superimposing it on this, right? Um, and um, one of the things that I find fascinating. Actually, not fascinating. It's more like infuriating when I when I see these analyses from a lot of people that I again I I found to be fellow travelers. Right? I I, I mean I didn't consume everything that LifeSite News printed, but you know I felt that they were doing some really good work. Um, and uh, anyway, what I what I find about a lot of these guys is that that. I mean, for one, they they don't seem um, to have any experience with this part of the world. Uh, it really is, in some ways, a, a an example of dilettantism on full display, um, which is fine. There's a lot of places in the world that I don't know about, you know. But I also don't go on broadcasts, right? And I don't grift on something I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it's, it's not even, it, it's lack of expertise personally, but what I find interesting is it, it doesn't seem to me to be the case that there's either a, some sort of realistic humility about what they don't know and b the, the important, the kicker is it, is a curiosity to seek that knowledge from maybe sources that could instruct them better. So not one of these guys I don't think have ever been to this part of the world. They certainly don't know Slavonic languages, I know for sure. Um, they don't seem to understand the long history. They don't seem like they've really read it all um, about the history of this territory. They don't know a lot of them are, are you know, supposedly, you know, conservative traditional Catholics, they, in their narrative, they don't seem to be aware at all that, you know, our church is there. Our church, the largest of the Eastern Catholic churches in union with Rome is there. Our church's history 
of being the foremost witness against godless communism and suffering for it right. in the 20th mm-hmm. century. All of those things are just, they're not, I mean, I say it to their credit because I think if they're intentionally ignoring this and they know about this, then there's, there's, there's some nefariousness going on. But there's no sense of curiosity whatsoever. On, on the, and I wonder why that is. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. One thing is, as a as an American who has you know second generation Ukrainian American growing up, you know, in the end of the Cold War in this country, th- there is a certain sense, and I'm sure you guys recognize this too. That and it's partly because Russia has done a deep fake for centuries. You know, our understanding of the Eastern European reality has been heavily Russified for centuries in this country. And only in the last, you know, 30 or so years is, is other narratives coming out. But, you know, it's kind of like I always felt growing up in, in a Ukrainian-American home and, and then having those experiences culturally within my family, but then living in the United States. It's that kind of like, you know, once you go past the, the Diocletian line in Europe, it's kind of like if, if, if a standard American or even a journalist of some integrity had to answer what goes on the other side of that line, they could probably just write Russia with three question marks, you know? And it's just like, there's no knowledge of any of those different cultures. And as varied as Western Europe is with countries and cultures and particularities, it's kind of like once you get to Eastern Europe, it's like, oh, that's just all kind of, this is the Ruskies over there. And we just, we just, we just put a pass on it. And we, as long as it's just over there, you know, we don't want to learn anything yeah. about it. And um, the homogenous slob. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's and, it, and and they don't understand the particularities, nor do they care. Because in a certain sense, I think Americans are comfortable. Um, I think many Americans are comfortable with having Russia as an adversary. Because if Russia were not to be an adversary, you know, or to be there in, in our imagination as a boogeyman, you know, they've got nukes, we have to be careful. Mm. Um uh, then, then who's going to take its place? You know, it's it's the fascination with uh, the Russians, and I just think that that could be a part of it, perhaps. Yeah, they don't care. To I, learn. I think as as Russia unfolds, um, that that's going to be a question is um, uh, going forward. You know, who, who is, um, and if if uh, things go as I as I think they will. That um, um, this this uh, president president strongman Mr. Putin uh, as he loses uh, his his grip on power, um, it could very very quickly devolve into a series of um, you know a puzzle of nations you know and uh, who's going to have oversight over uh, those you know those republics and uh, the the nuclear weapons that they have. Uh, some people have said that you know. <laughs> Um, you know, maybe it's a little out ahead of the, the ball, but um, that Ukraine should have, you know, once this war is over, oversight over those, uh, you know, those, those uh, uh, you know, republics that are, are, are left yeah. in, European, in European Russia. It's kind of like the 1990s all over again with, you know, yeah. let's sign treaties to give up your nukes for the safety of our well-being and we'll give you security guarantees. And doesn't that sound a bit familiar? Yeah. <laughs> you know, where are we now because of that? Um, and uh, that, that is, you know, um, that is a distinct possibility. Well, 
let's talk about that because we're at a we're at a real um, uh, inflection point in the in the war. Mm-hmm. And I say inflection point. I mean the only thing right now that um, seems to be giving any sort of breathing room to the Russians is winter, old man winter setting mm-hmm. in, because they can reinforce and they can they they have the hope to set up defensive lines. Mm-hmm. They're no longer on the offensive, and they know, despite the fact, even in September twelfth, when you know Putin called the partial mobilization and nearly 1 million men within a week left the country. Yep. You know, that, that really shows, you know, uh, uh, just a wonderfully patriotic, you know, uh, healthy nation, doesn't it? And it's a defensive war, too, right? Yeah, defensive you know? war. It's not a war. It's, not a war. it's, it's not a war. It's a special operation. It's special, I forgot. Yeah. To defend yeah. the motherland in another country. Yeah. In another country. And what does right. it say if your, your, your men are clamoring to run to Mongolia? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. Kazakhstan. Yeah. Yeah, the the I heard uh, the, the winters are very nice in Kazakhstan. Yeah, yeah, that's really you know, the plants. No, not really. Right, yeah. right. But they're <laughs> the Helkian steppes of Kazakhstan. You know, so uh, yeah, we're at a we're at a real inflection point right now. The the you know I I don't care how many times uh, you know Tucker Carlson can shamelessly have you know Colonel uh, Douglas uh, McGregor on you know. Saying that Ukraine is terribly losing this war as Ukraine takes yeah, yeah. more territory <laughs> the same weekend, you know that uh, you know Russia more territory than Russia has on the, on the Ukrainian territory in the, since February twenty fourth. Um, the thing is, though, I do you know I'm not a proponent of giving in to the you know the fear mongering of nuclear war, but at the same time. Um, I don't see how how Putin has any other options here, right? Right. Um, other than the fact, I mean, if he if he is perceived as having lost this conflict, I mean, he set himself up to for this trajectory that I would imagine that his his own security apparatus would probably take him out. He would no longer be a legitimate leader in Russia. God knows who fills him. Who well, that's just, shoes, that's just right? it. Even, even, even a quote-unquote progressive like Navalny has flaws because, again, the nascent Russian chauvinism against Ukraine oh, yeah, yeah. persists for centuries. You know, Dostoevsky with Solzhenitsyn. I mean, it's just it's as deep as Russia is cold. Well, and that's why Russia needs a serious historical critical review of its own identity. And then once that happens, it will no longer be the same country. But, you know, you know, I think getting back to it is, is the genesis of, you know, Kiev and Rus and who are the rightful heirs of that, that principality and that medieval state. Um, and what's, I mean, these are, I mean, I remember discussing this stuff in seminary. And, you know, these are, these are big questions that, you know, Belarus, Russia, Ukraine, all of those countries, they, there's, there's a need to examine that whole history. Um, and I think, I think Ukrainians have been very gracious at times, saying we can, we can share that to a degree. We can recognize there's a connection there. But the problem is, is that Russia wants to claim it as their exclusive patrimony. And anyone else that dares to take away what they think is theirs, they're going to kill. 
because their very existence is dependent upon a myth that's not true. Well, it's an anachronism. That's the thing. Folks, just to give you an example, if you put this into Western history, what Russia essentially does by saying that it has, you know, Kiev Rus is the beginning of it all, right? Mm -hmm. It's when the lights come on, Volodymyr is baptized and then extends the baptism to the civilization, to the Rus realm, you know, literacy comes to Kiev Rus, they become incorporated into the, into Byzantium, Mm -hmm. Uh, they... Uh, build monasteries, they cities, cities law, education. Laws, you know, his son Yaroslav, you know, extends that and intensifies that even further. A written language, yeah. absolutely right. So that's when it starts. I mean, there's a reason why this is such a crucial moment. Make no mistake. Um, yeah, does Christianity come into what develops into modern day Russia through that event? Of course, it does. Right. However, um, not even, not even you know the the most ardent you know Ukrainian nationalist would refer to 988 as Ukraine, right? It's it's Kiev Rus, right? Who knows? And, Maybe now they would. Yeah, who knows? Now, what now, you have against. now you almost have to. But but, yeah. but the reality is this: what Russia does is they will take, as you so eloquently laid out, uh, Father Alex, that name change given by Peter the Great in the 18th century, right? And then they apply it back to 988, right? This was all Russian, right? And these are, I've read some serious, you know, historians, theologians even, who refer to it as Kievan Russia, right, at this time. Mm -hmm. But it's, it'd be like saying that, you know, Charlemagne in, you know, I don't know, when was Charlemagne crowned in the 800s? 800. 800. Christmas Day. Was, that in fact, so Charlemagne is crowned Holy Roman Empire, right? He, he builds off of the legacy of old Rome. It'd be like saying that, that Julius Caesar was actually the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, right? Mm. It doesn't go both ways, right? You yeah. know, you've got it all yeah. screwed up. Maybe may another way, the more simplistic way for people not familiar with the history to understand uh, a way, and it's a very simplistic way, but this conflict, uh, the way to understand this on a familial level is uh, you have a home, you have a family, you have a children, and you're Ukraine, let's say, right? This is the hypothetical or the, the, the allegory, so to speak. Your neighbor across the street breaks down your door, looks at you and says, that's my wife. These are my kids. This is my house. I am you and you're an abstraction and I must eliminate you. Mm-hmm. That to me is the perfect kind of example of what's happening. Russia is trying to wipe out Ukraine because Ukraine stands in an existential challenge to their very existence. Mm-hmm. And Ukrainians have no, Ukrainians cannot, and this is what I think the West and people calling for peace and negotiation just don't understand. Ukraine cannot negotiate with Russia until Russia is completely out of their country. Because, you know, if, if Ukraine stops fighting, Ukraine ends. If Russia stops fighting, the war ends. But if Ukraine stops, Ukraine ends. Ukraine cannot stop fighting until they're gone. Well, and this gets also to the the 
the conspicuous lack of curiosity and interest among our, you know, some of our Putinophile fellow conservatives. Exactly, right? because just to go back to what you said, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's right there. This has nothing to do with NATO. What we're talking about has nothing to do with NATO, nothing to do with the Cold War, nothing to do with the USA. It has everything to do with Eastern European local power politics. Mm -hmm. And a bad actor is your neighbor. Mm -hmm. That's it. Well, I mean, maybe there's more to it. I don't want to simplify that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, this has got nothing to do with NATO. This is this very insipid. I don't even want to call it a family feud because... I know that that's even sensitive for me as a Ukrainian. I don't, you know, if this, if Russia is my brother, I want a new family, you know, like right. <laughs> I right. don't want right. them as my brother. Yeah. So get a witness protection yes, program. Please. Or something. I'm fleeing yeah. the country, you know, get away. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's, that I think is, is, is really important for people to understand. But th this is the thing though, with the whole NATO, NATO's the cause and Genesis. That's not even what, Putin says. No. Like, what we're saying, this has a long history, that's from Putin's own mouth. I mean, look, like, don't ever expect that this guy who was completely formed in the art of disinformation, right? That is what he does very well, mm. by the way. Yes. He knows how to twist the truth. He knows how to play psyops, because that's that's what he did. Uh, he, he's, he's an awful military commander. Right, we're already seeing this is yeah. one of the reasons why they're doing this top-down corrupt approach is just falling apart, is because every time he loses confidence in his 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 uh, his generals, which is quite often, he intervenes. Right, and we're seeing the results of that. But the one thing he's really good at is is uh, deception, deception and smoke screens. So don't ever think that. You know, oh, he really thinks about NATO because one day on Wednesday he talks about how how this is a war of NATO and uh, in America and you know that that Russia is somehow the the cultural bastion against you know Western debauchery, right? Mm -hmm. um, which and there is Western debauchery, and he knows how to manipulate that. Which then ties into your the whole group of people we talk about exactly who think that Putin is some sort of Christian savior when in fact. Right. He's no more Christian than Genghis Khan. I mean, there's no... I mean, I mean it's a veneer. It's oh, a yeah, complete veneer much. of religion. Yeah, it's well, an opportunity. Um, we've been so starved. Again, getting back to what I said earlier about you know being so uh, desperate for a strong man. Um, because in, in, in public life here in the West, religion is becoming uh, more of a handicap than an asset. You know, mm -hmm. so... Um, Religion has seemed to be the you know the the domain of of uh, the, the the fringe, um, in Russia and in Ukraine and Belarus. That's not the case, and it is uh, they they have a very Soviet understanding of religion. It's so kind of a an, an appeasing, superstitious view of the deity, and so uh, you see this with you know with Lukashenko, with Putin, with with Yanukovych, um, Yanukovych course was famous because when they when he fled the country and they went into his dacha outside of Kiev you know he had this beautifully appointed chapel mm. you know with beautiful icons I didn't know that yeah, no, yeah, I, remember, yeah I think I remember seeing that yeah beautiful icons everything and he and uh and, and apparently Putin has the same thing on his massive you know uh dacha in uh, in the Black Sea um that's that's just you know rumors but uh um but they, they do have this this 
um, you know, a superstitious view of religion, uh, and that's very common among uh, that generation of, of men in the Soviet bloc, you know, who grew up um, with religion being kept at an arm's length. And uh, so, so you get that, he comes into a position of power and he still maintains that superstitious external um, uh, valuation of religion and the rites and, and, and uh, symbols of it. And we in the West look at that and we think, oh, you know, this is a Christian leader because we want a king. We want a king. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is going to be our king. Look, he kisses icons. But it, th- th- this is, um, uh, I, I, I think it's more of a, a, a substitute for faith than an expression of faith. It's, it's this, um, um, I guess, a very external uh, superstitious view of appeasing the deity by, you know, crossing yourself, kissing the icon, giving out a candle. Um, but it, it doesn't reflect, uh, th- those values of that religion are not evidenced in, in, the, in his governance of, of Russia for the past uh, 20, 22 years, with the exception of, you know, curtailing uh, gay prop- homosexual propaganda and restricting some abortion. Uh, I mean, Stalin did the same thing with the abortion issue, as purely, purely yeah. out of natalist uh, necessity. Is it for a value of life, or is it because they have a declining population yeah. and he needs more candidates? That's what it is, yeah. Wars? Because he had this United Russia Party approached him in 2016, uh, possibly early 2017, and said, hey, let's just, you know, we have the votes, we have the power, let's just abolish, the, outlaw abortion altogether. And he's, his, his response was the Bill Clinton line, no, let's keep it safe, legal, and rare. Oh. Well, so, because it's such an establishment oh, yeah. in culture. I mean, yeah, yeah. You go, uh, especially to the, the more uh, you know, dreary and economically depressed East, Vladivostok and Magadan. And, I mean, the, most of the flipping country is dreary and economically depressed. But, um, I mean, I've heard that, you know, it's not uncommon that the average woman has had up to 10 abortions. Oh, you know, no, it's 17, 18. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, uh, it's also something to this, this blind acceptance to, you know, uh, what seems to be very visually appealing, uh, of Putin's re- religious sort of tratty, you know, facade. Also the fact that, you know, uh, in a time where masculinity is under assault, in the West, uh, and it is, right, that uh, it's almost as if there's this, like, uh, you know, this, this, this drive, this, this impulsion of grown men, seemingly grown men who, you know, see, almost have this, like, desire for a father. Yeah. And they see that, which is like, you know, get a hold of yourself, guys. It's it's, it's 1930... Mid nineteen thirties all over again because you have all of these 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 established power institutions in the West, Hollywood, uh, the educational elite on the East Coast, men in general, how they all ran after Il Duce, you know, yeah, they, they they just right. ran after um, uh, Mussolini and they they wanted him, they wanted yeah. to be like him, they wanted to be affiliated with him, and it was the you know the the flavor of the day, uh, fascism in America. Um, and I think a lot of it was this, this big daddy syndrome, you know, um, right. and, uh, that is being, is being, uh, repeated today with, with Putin. 
Well, and, and, and look, I mean, there's an element of that that's, that's, is understandable, right? You know, so for example, even in the United States, you know, Trump was really the one to change the perception of the Republican Party in both the Latino community and also the, the in starting the black community. Yeah. And one of the things, there are many reasons, I think that the strongest reason was just his economic policies. They helped out the working class far better than any other president had done it. But one of the, the reasons also that people point to is that, you know, he was just, he was a straight talking guy. He knew how to, he knew how to communicate with normal, oftentimes working class men, right? And a lot of men in the Latino community and also a growing number of, uh, you know, men in the black community found that refreshing. They yeah. identified with it. So there's an element of that that, you know, I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want a, a beta, you know, um, you know, uh, effeminate male as a leader. We want a masculine leader. I get it. Right. But I, I don't fawn over the ostentatiousness of, you know, the traditional conservative Christian leader, right, when, you know, he's invading and raping and pillaging, right? right? You know, that, that, yeah. that's, that's where it's over, and, and you know, I'm, I'm sorry you, you oppose that. Well, I think that for those on the conservative side of this country right now, there's a certain disconnect with that, because I think that none of them would agree that that's correct. But they've gone through such challenges, especially with media misinformation, you know, real or perceived, uh, with COVID, uh, with an election in 2020 that <clears throat> certainly has irregularities, um, you know, not, not taking a position on whether this was, you know, uh, a rigged election or not, but definitely there are patterns and trends historically. Well, you know, if you want to say that, then go for it. And, you know, I... I Google will cancel us. I, I, uh, just saying. <laughs> I'm just trying to say that, you know, putting all that, all of that out there, when the media then says we have to get behind the Ukraine thing, and everyone is virtue signaling with, you know, the, the Ukrainian national colors, there is going to be a natural reaction from those people that I can understand yeah. why they're going to resist that. However... Uh, that's the great, I think, challenge because as much as I think all three of us would not agree with almost everything that that media will portray, they they have gotten this one right, you know? Yeah. And, and maybe they have a nefarious reason for it. I think we've discussed that privately and maybe we'll get into that in this podcast. The reasons that the, the political left in this country is supporting Ukraine are not necessarily the reasons that we want to support it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the, the, the context is, is that they have to be the allies because at this point they're willing to support Ukraine and Ukraine needs military support yeah. to, to, to beat Russia. Well, yeah. the, the proximate result is absolutely necessary. Yeah. And that's the one thing that for once in perhaps all of my life, I share an end with you know, some commentator on CNN. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or Biden's State right. Department. In, in some ways. the survival of this country. You know, right? Right. You, in, in order for Ukraine to slay the dragon, they have to dance with the devil. Right. It, it, it's very similar, as you said earlier at the beginning of the podcast, with uh, World War II, the United States and Russia, is that you had a lot of uh, uh, communist sympathizing 
Americans who loved Joseph Stalin and they loved everything about uh, communist Russia. Um, and uh, uh, they were aligned with Russia and they were going over to live there um, in, the, in the 30s. And then all of a sudden we see that the, the American government is aligned by you know, 1942 with, with uh, Soviet Russia. So here you have you know, the far left, uh, you know, the, the, the Communist Party of America. You have uh, the American government um, aligning on this and they, they, they back Russia in order to you know, defeat Germany. Um, so that there's, 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 there's an alignment there and uh, uh, that's similar to what we see now is, uh, um, you know, you have the far left and uh, uh, people who are God-fearing and, and politically conservative like the three of us who are also supporting Ukraine. Um, but our, our, our support for it is due to, I think, conscience and a, a principled you know, use of, of reason. Mm -hmm. um, whereas the left, well, uh, whereas the left, I think, is simply supporting Ukraine out of animus against Russia because Russia has these you know, uh, anti-homosexual laws and it's just out of a, a real hatred for Russia that they're on the Ukraine bandwagon. And the, 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 the conservatives, the Tucker Carlson's and the, you know, the, the John Henry Weston's of the world, uh, they are against Ukraine, not because they've arrived at it based on principle, but simply because they're contrarians and they don't like what, uh, you know, whatever CNN says, they go in the opposite direction. Um, well, that's, that's just not a, um, you know, a, a thing that I can respect. Correct. And, and I agree. It's like you, if you're contrarian just to be contrarian... Uh, well, where's the truth in that? You know, um, con contrarianism ha has a purpose, but you have to actually land <laughs> on the right side of things. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, um, Tucker Carlson and the others, even though they are politically right, took a left turn somewhere in Albuquerque and got lost, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> with all of this. Mm -hmm. um, but also, the, in this conversation, too, I think it's important to say, I think there was a statistic that I read somewhere in one of the articles that, you know, 75% of the conservatives in what we call the Republican Party today support Ukraine mm. and, and are rock solid in the support. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, if anything, what I'm starting to try to put in process and, and articulate is that there is a wing of, of the MAGA movement, um, and I would say it's the shadow side of the MAGA movement, mm -hmm. With regards to foreign policy is, you know, they want to put America first. So, you know, there's like, you know, they come out and they're like, you know, why are we secure? Why, why are we trying to protect Ukraine's borders when we can't even secure our own? And it gets all the, the cheers and all that. But, you know, the fact is, is, you know what, quite honestly, America, in my opinion, is an exceptional country. We're the greatest country on this earth. And you know what? We can do both. We can secure our borders and protect Ukraine. So let's stop making this an either or. Stop scoring silly political points. And let's really look at foreign policy seriously. And, and share what you said earlier about France. Oh, exactly. I mean, you know, we, 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 I, I think that, uh, you know, Americans who understand their history should recognize that were it not for France, and I think you mentioned even the Dutch support, and, and just to add to that, you know you know who trained the cavalry in this country Poles. were Poles, yeah. who actually, Kosciuszko. who, yeah. where do you think the Poles learned how to ride horses? Cossacks. Cossacks, who are what, guys? Ukrainian. Ukrainians. 
All of these people supported America against Great Britain so that they, so that we could become a free country. And so uh, if it were not for these countries, and France especially, with their naval blockade of the British Navy, we probably wouldn't be a country right now. Marquis de Lafayette. And so if we can't see the struggle for independence in Ukraine, if we cannot see 1776 in the year 2022 clearly, then these Americans, in my opinion, have lost sight of their own history and don't know themselves. And so there should be absolutely no question how no, there, there should be no red-blooded American, whether you're Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, or whatever, should not be able to support Ukraine. It is a clear-cut war of oppression and tyranny against a free people. And, you know, Jason, Father Jason, you know this very well because we've talked about this and you can share on this. Ukraine um, is one of the most pluralistic, democratic, religiously free countries in the former Soviet space. So share a little bit about all of that that we well, know so the most, much. One of the most re religiously intense Countries. Yeah, Romania. Romania, I think, has only Romania outdoes Ukraine in terms of religious observance. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Ukraine is is uh, a very close second, and um, uh, that's that's why I think Russia's moving in here is because it sees that um, uh, if it loses Ukraine, uh, it, it loses itself, and uh, most of its clergy of the Russian Orthodox Church come from. Uh, well, not my. I think uh, uh, Good 20 years ago it was 50 over 50 percent of the Russian mm -hmm. Orthodox clergy mm -hmm. were, were from Ukraine. Now I don't know what those stats are, but it's a it's a large chunk. Let's say it's down to 40 percent. Um, but uh, uh, the other reason, getting back to what you just said, is that Putin cannot allow uh, a free nation to exist on his borders. You know, you have something unique in Ukraine. Ukraine's not, you know, without its limitations and flaws, but you have uh, free elections, you have freedom of the press, you have freedom of religion, you have independent, uh, it's a civil society, independent uh, uh, newspapers, in, uh, universities, Ukrainian Catholic University, um, research uh, institutes. Y you have all of that in Ukraine, and, and people can travel freely, and then Russia's people they look at this they live on the other side of the border in belgorod for example and they see all of this that these people on the other side of the border they have all of that and we're living in this uh, revamped soviet gray mass of a nation how is that you know mm -hmm. so he, he can't allow that to continue he has to he had to invade yeah. uh if he wanted to continue the you know the charade that russia is great yeah it's a good point, you know, because you, you talk about Belgorod and, you know, being of Canadian, you know, uh, nationality and, and going to Canada myself and studying at seminary with you in, in Canada. Um, you know, Ukrainians and Russians before this war and for the last 30 years went back and forth on that border like Americans and Canadians yeah. around here went from Toronto, you know, to Buffalo, to and, Buffalo back. and back again. And, you know... Uh, these, you know, people that don't have a lived experience of Ukraine don't realize that Ukraine was, you know, a, like you said, it was a free society. Um, they were actually building things and the country was pretty nice. You see, you know, they, they were making their country beautiful. And, mm -hmm. 
the economy after 30 years of the post-Soviet hangover was starting to work. I mean, things were really coming together for the country and yeah. Putin could not have that. And he started this war in 2014. You know, this isn't, you know, this war didn't start in February. It started in 2014 and it expanded, you know, in February. And and ironically, as much as Putin is, you know, it's a, you can get into a spiritual idea of grasping. As much as he grasps for Ukraine, he loses it because mm. everything he's done since 2014 has just, you know, solidified Ukrainian culture against him. And yeah. I remember reading the very beginning, you know, when, when Bucha, you know, the massacre and the, stuff, the, the crimes that happened in Bucha, and, you know, we learned about that and I think it was April or... April or May or it was, April and March. It was March. the very first days of the, of the war. Sure, but when we finally figured it yeah, out, it was in April, April. April. Yeah. So I remember reading something from President Zelensky, and he had said, you know, even, even with the invasion in February of 2022, the extension, you know, we were willing to try to negotiate with 2014 with them taking Crimea mm -hmm. and parts of the Donbass. And even after the invasion, I think Ukrainians, he said, were willing to negotiate and, and kind of try to stop this. But he said after Bucha, it just ended. Yeah. And Ukrainian society, you read the stats, you see the, the studies, you know, 86% yeah, of the country is against, you know, any negotiations until right. the Russians are out of Crimea and everywhere. So Putin has really created a pickle for himself. Mm -hmm. And it's not something he can get out of. Uh, this is, by the way, as an aside, this is one area that is ever so conveniently ignored by, uh, be they on the radical left or also on the conservative, conservative side, right, yeah. who push this idea that we are escalating this war and that, in fact, Putin's fight, you know, implying that Putin's really fighting a defensive war. None of them, and, they, and they'll, they'll feign concern, but the idea of people are dying and Ukraine is being offered on the altar here. And it's like, well, have you looked at the statistics of mm -hmm. what people actually think about this war? Do you talk to anybody in Ukraine? I mean, I, I just talked to somebody in Ukraine two days ago. And I can tell you generally, just it's anecdotal, yes, but um, no one in Ukraine is talking about Oh, we need to negotiate, negotiate right now yeah. because they they saw what happened at the very beginning. As yeah. You said, Father Alex, Bucha. The whole country will become Bucha. Bucha. That's that's what the the plan is. And look, I think now uh, I saw the recent number. I don't know what the count is, but I think they're saying it's close to sixty five thousand cases of war crimes. Wow. That the wow. the uh, the Ukrainian um, uh, security, the SBU, um, you know, security uh, uh, service service yeah. is now collecting, and also their judiciary, right? Um, so I mean, this is in 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 you know now with Russia, you know, soon evacuating Kherson and. However soon who knows? the Ukrainians take that, who knows how that'll go. I mean, yeah. Um, but what we'll find from that, because they've been there the longest. They have, yeah. You know, um, you know yeah. I mean, and all these people that are so afraid of a nuclear war, right? Um, and then let's talk about tactical nukes, tactical nukes. I think it's 114,000 roughly dead Ukrainians in Mariupol. 
How is that any different from a tactical nuke? Hmm. What? Why are we so? You know, we're so afraid of this. You know, this boogeyman. Of, and uh, he, he's of banking on that. He's banking on that because you know, there's there's actual there's actually the the nuke itself, but then there's um, uh, the other weapon, which is the threat of the nuke. Yeah. And he will push that as far as he can, and he will push that all the way to Warsaw. He'll push that all the way to, to Germany. He'll push that all the way to England. I mean, he will he will push the threat of nuclear war as uh, far as he can. As far as he can. And so, you know, we have to decide: Are we going to allow that threat to uh, keep migrating westward, or are we going to uh, buttress and support people in Ukraine who are willing, at their own cost, to say the buck stops here, and uh, you can threaten all you want, but we're going to fight back. And so that's what it comes down to, is either supporting people who are fighting against the threat and who have a lot to lose in this, or just conceding, letting him march on, and then eventually it's going to be the threat of nuclear bombs dropping in Western Europe and then just keep going on. Yeah, and I think in, in we, we, miss, we miss a geopolitical opportunity as, a, as, as, a, as the West uh, and not realizing that we can vanquish one of the most significant adversaries to liberal democracy, you know, the Soviet Union and the dystopian Russian Federation that came after its collapse without any military engagement between the U.S. and NATO forces if we simply provide Ukraine what they've asked for without conditions which should be done legally under the terms of the Budapest Memorandum, which people just like to forget ever happened. Mm -hmm. um, and Russia will be done. And we can have a more peaceful, more prosperous, and more diverse, a more diverse multicultural world because, what, maybe somewhere between 20 and 40 new republics of cultures and nation states will emerge from the vast <laughs> wasteland of, you know, Russian yeah. Asia yeah. Uh, as free states. And think about all those, yeah, those, those diverse names, Buratia, yeah, Buratia, the English republics. I mean, think about all Dagestan. The, the, yeah. which, hey, you boys want to go out for Dagestani uh, cuisine yeah. sometime? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's good food, food, but we don't even know because it's you know if you you know it's like Shevchenko spoke poetry in Ukraine. He went to Siberia. Dagestani's make Dagestani stew. They go to jail because yeah. it's not <laughs> Russian. You know, that's right. Uh, it's just uh, we have such a great opportunity for peace. Exactly. And stability and actually a healthier, safer world order by doing the right thing by supporting Ukraine than we do by being cowards and, and falling prey to fear, which is the devil, you know, uh, who misinforms by, by thinking that Putin is some sort of savior. Well, and even more to your point, I completely agree with you in terms of, you know, supporting a country that is trying to have a rule of law, a constitution... Um, that's you know, uh, you know, a, a democratic republic, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it, I think it's even more fundamental than that. I mean, what we've seen also that proved very clearly at the beginning of this war and continues to carry out the atrocities that we're seeing uh, that the Russians are, are carrying out. You know, this is the right of a people, a nation, to exist. 
right? I mean, and honestly, if you don't have any sort of pathos for that, both emotionally but also intellectually, right? Yeah, I hate to sound so trite. Something's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. You know, something's wrong with you. Um, if you if you can't get behind the guy who's fighting for hearth and home against an illegal occupier, um, I don't know. This this is a real yeah. It's a litmus test for conservatism. Yeah. I have to say. I mean, the, the far left, they're lost. I, yeah. I, I I'm not angered by them. They do what they do. They're not. Yeah. They don't believe in virtues. Right. But. But what, what, what it shows is that these people have become what they hate. I'm, like these, these conservatives who are uh, opposing Ukraine, they have become the ideologues that they hate in the, in the left. Uh, what I mean by that is they, they, they know what, what's happening is uh, a humanitarian catastrophe. They, they, they know there's a war. They, they'll even say, like Steve uh, Jalcevic on LifeSide News, will say, yes, it's an unjust invasion and Russia shouldn't do it. Oh, he even admits yes. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some of them will. Yeah. But then, you know, there is the globalist agenda here. So what that says is that all of these lives, all of this injustice, yeah, we don't like it, but it, what's more important to us is ideological purity and not yeah, being aligned. Exactly. With anything that goes against our ideological uh, 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 presuppositions, so they become ideologues, yeah. and they're, they're no longer people of of of, of uh, flesh and blood, uh, people of of the word of God. Uh, they've become stony-hearted ideologues. Well, and and that's where, and we should do another podcast on this yeah. because look, we're traditional conservatives. We're we're you know followers of Christ in his apostolic church, you know, I mean, I'm very concerned for, you know, what, I'm sorry, just the pathologies that this has brought out. And one of the things you already brought up, you know, uh, okay, the massacre at Bucha, it's unjust. uh, Yeah, yeah, but the globalists, right? You know, know, some dude writing from his armchair in Dayton, Ohio, right? who already sort of assumes that he's going to be martyred by this narrative that he has in his head. There's something, is I don't know, it's like ideological narcissism. Yeah. You know, that like... Well, you, well it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. like, you, you have this inability to, you know, not only... It's not like you just don't care, right? It's, it's the fact that you're in this world that you've created for yourself of this implied victimization, right? That's, I mean, yeah, to a certain degree, yeah. Are we kind of as traditional Catholics, right, Christians, you know, pushed off in the culture? Yeah, yeah, we are opposed. But, I mean, I would never say, you know, just as as Paul writes in the Hebrews, right, you have not yet suffered to the point of shedding blood, right? Mm-hmm. You know, reminding, you know, the, the church in Jerusalem, I'm guessing, you know, you know, buck up. Right? I mean, yeah, for Straight all up. of the persecutions that Christians have undergone, if American, if this is persecution, <laughs> hey, ah, sign me up, sign me up you know, like, there's a lot of words, you know, yeah. day, right? And yeah. we have to listen to oh my Kamala God. Harris talk 
talking about yellow school buses? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is enough of a martyrdom. I mean, but I you know, getting back to it, I don't know if it's even so much a narcissism as it is just a childishness uh, and an immaturity in their own ability to function in this this world. I mean, yeah. whether or not it's globalism or not, we live in a global world. And you know, we haven't been an isolated country for over 150 years if we ever were i mean you know globalism has been going on since since the yeah, british there's, you know? there's a new kind of 2.0 globalist you know not not the globalist kind of people you, you may have think of who are the founding fathers of the eu but you know this new globalism the you know the, uh, the, the schwabs and the george soros's who are really kind of neo-marxists sure. and they want to do away with borders, cultures, religion, and they want to have a, you know, a centralized world economy with ideological purity across all lands and peoples. But they're not going to disappear because the Marjorie Taylor Greens, you know, take control of Congress. We're going to have to deal with it at a certain point. And, you well, know, I mean... Yeah, not only that, these guys are awful. They're rotten characters. However, like... the. I mean, labels can only take you so far. The right? enemy yeah. of my enemy yeah. is my friend, right? Yeah, you know? well, not I only mean, that, but it's, I mean, I, I think that there's a, 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 what I see in, in, in a lot of this narrative, right? That, again, a lot of it I, you know, I support, right? A lot of it I, you know, there's a good deal of it more and more. I'm like, eh, you know, there's some real, you know, pathologies in it. Um, they they attribute far too much power to these people than they actually. Oh yeah, do. correct. You correct. Know? So yes. like Klaus Schwab, you know, if you were to ask, you know, at least kind of take the presuppositions of a Michael Mack, Klaus Schwab. I mean, he lives rent free in Matt Michael. He's, he's a demigod. You know? he's well, a he's, demigod. he's he's hiding behind every bush. In in yeah. in, in they, rock. Yeah, the, the Michael Matts of the world, uh, they, they remind me of you know like the Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't know if, if any of your if any of you guys or our listeners have had uh, extensive uh, experience with Jehovah's Witnesses, but if you do, they listen to how they speak about Satan and how they speak about God, whom they call Jehovah, and you begin to wonder who really is the God, the Almighty One, because they ascribe so much vast power to Satan, uh -huh. and then God, in the Jehovah's Witness view, is very, very, very uh, uh, restricted. You know, um, and so just by just by listening to them, you get the impression that the the, the powerful one in this game is yes. is this uh, uh, dark force that you you really fear in your kind of Manichaean uh, worldview. Um, whereas we, who are followers of the resurrected one, we see that Satan is defeated, he's vanquished, you know, we have nothing to fear in him. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I see that with, uh, with our, you know, fellow conservatives is that, yeah, Klaus Schwab is hiding behind every bush and, you know, they're, they're just getting us out of the church. They're, they're manipulating everything in, in our, in our creed and all these things happening in the Vatican and all these things happening in Washington. It's the globalists, it's the globalists, the globalists. Well, actually, have you ever thought of just describing it to Satan himself, that the evil that's at work in the church and in our country and in the world, um, it is ultimately, it's the work of the Prince of Darkness, who's manipulating in, in our wills and darkening our minds. It's, it's, a, it's true, you know, and I think that we also have to stand and fight that. And I think conservatives, whether, you know, this new shadow side of the MAGA movement uh, is going to um, 
you know, take control of Congress, which I think it most likely will, um, they will then be in the game with these people. And let's hope for some work to, to, to make it better and mm-hmm. to correct it. But we're not going to, you know, America is not going to just, you know, turn it, shut its doors and ignore the rest of the world, you know, uh, and, and, and everything's going to be just fine. You know, we, live in a, we do live in a world that is global and we have to deal with problems. Together, when they take states. up a lot of space, and right? We do, you know, yeah. financially, geopolitically. I mean, it, you know, I mean, I understand. I, 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 you, I applauded Trump's yeah. moves to, you know, placate the Middle East and sign peace accords and get yeah. us out of. He did a lot of wars, He did a but, lot of good geopolitical oh, work. Oh yeah, yeah he did. And and that's not going to end, you know, with conservatism. You know, right. uh, conservatism has a place for that, and um, and that's that's very important. But it's a chessboard. Forward. But and, it is a chessboard. You don't just yeah. pull all your your pieces off the board. I you mean, you, you right? can't do that. And and quite honestly, you know, if 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 you don't want America as a hegemon, who do you want to replace it? And that is a perfect segue to our next podcast. So, uh, well, we sure thank you for joining us uh, again. Hopefully, we'll be podcasting uh, more frequently as the days. Uh, move forward. Uh, do keep us in your prayers, and we pray for all of you. And uh, Father Alex, why don't you uh, lead us in a parting prayer and benediction, and uh, we'll call it a night. Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for bringing us together this evening to discuss in fellowship and in faith the events and the signs of the times as they come before us. We ask that Uh, You open uh, those who have taken the time to listen to this podcast, uh, to to open their hearts and their ears to perspectives that maybe challenge them. And we ask for uh, their forgiveness if we have offended them in anything that we have said, but to keep dialogue going. And we ask that God would bless us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 God bless you and keep you and we look forward to speaking with you again this is the martirio podcast signing off